We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, part four, the running back, player, profiles. Hit the description of this video or podcast, and you can find parts one, parts two, and parts three. Shockingly enough, we went in chronological order of this series. If you want to smash the like button of the episode and leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, along with one running back, regardless of price, you will never draft because they're hexed or cursed. And the answer can be Mark Ingram if you write, because that is probably the right answer to this question, is people who watch the Pat Mayo experience know. You do that, you're in a draw for 20 DK bucks. You want to get into a draw for 100 DK bucks? Subscribe to the Pat Mayo experience audio podcast. Five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you enjoy about the Pat Mayo experience, and you're going to be in that draw. You can use the time codes to jump to the players or situations that you want. You can do that for all of the episodes, and we're going to jump right into it. Chris Meany from The Athletic is on the line, as he's been for the first three parts, and Joe Pizapia, the author of the Fantasy Football Black Book, available for purchase now on Amazon.com, is also on the line. Let's check it out. In this range, we're going to see a bunch of committee-type running backs as well. So let's dig into those. We've done the standalone players already in terms of the David Johnsons, the Todd Gurley's, guys that we could see, David Montgomery, getting a bulk of volume in their backfields, being drafted in this end of the third, fourth, fifth, early sixth round. So let's talk about some of these timeshares. One, the devil himself, Mark Ingram, on the Ravens. What did they go out and do? They drafted a better running back than him. Smart. Smart for the Ravens, because I'm sure the reason that they lost in the playoffs was probably Mark Ingram related, whether it was his performance or just the hex that he carries around with him. I don't know. They go out to get J.K. Dobbins, Meany. They also have the Gus Bus on the team and this guy who rushed for 1,000 yards, Lamar Jackson. This is a highly efficient running back offense a rushing offense but they're not afraid to pass to like Jean-Luc Picard near the goal line either like just random people that they have on their team that they bring in to score touchdowns for them like Ingram is 
I'm curious to see where his overall ADP shakes out, but really with Dobbins in the mix right now, he's still going like sixth round and like pass. Yeah. I, I think there's maybe one more productive year from Ingram potentially, but this is a cloudy situation. It's, and you know how much I've liked Ingram over the past couple of years, but this is, this is probably where I, where I pass on him. I do feel like, he will be tempting if he's sitting there in the sixth round, but yeah, there's just a lot of options now. They do want to run the football, so that is one positive. You look at the red zone rushing attempts. It was Ingram, 40 rushing red zone rushing attempts. That was top 10 in all of football, but Lamar Jackson's right there with 26. Gus Edwards had 20, so there, and then you bring in Dobbins, and then Justin Hill, Justice Hill even had like a dozen or so, so there's, there's so many options for this team, and I just don't think we'll see Ingram touch the ball 20 times a game. I mean, that towards the end of last year, we started to see his production drop off. He went from a guy who was getting 15 to 17 carries, one or two catches. And then, you know, when the games mattered into the postseason and the playoffs, eight carries, six carries, uh, one, two targets. So I think maybe if you're if you're an Ingram owner in a dynasty league, maybe you got one more year, um, but it's probably a sell high opportunity if, if you're in that kind of format. But yeah, it's, this is a sticky situation because I think Dobbins is actually fits this offense perfectly. I think he can be a, a potential three down back for them. It may take a year, but I think there's no question. He has a lot more talent than Mark Ingram. Yeah. The, the Dobbins layaway plan, Joe seems to be what the Ravens are going to go all in on, but they do have an overwhelming amount of options at the running back position that it seems like week to week where Ingram was the consistent guy last year. It could be someone else this year. Like, would you rather draft Dobbins? Would you rather draft Ingram? I'd rather draft Ingram, and I know you're going to throw something at me when I say it, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm not afraid of you, Pat Mayo. Well, I am, just a little bit. But in all honesty, like, I mean, I know we want to <laughs> crap on Mark Ingram, and I get it, but if he's going to score, a, you know, 10 touchdowns and have a 1,000 yards again this year, which I think he can very well do. I remember last year sitting here and fighting, uh, not here on this show, but in a lot of shows, fighting about, oh, forget Mark Ingram, it's just his hill. Well, it wasn't. And now we're going to have the same argument. And look, Dobbins is probably better, yes, without a doubt, and certainly more of a threat. But you mentioned Gus Edwards is there too. There's other guys here. I think the thing about Mark Ingram that when you watch the Ravens play, and this is not a fantasy thing, again, this is like a real football acumen thing, is you see how important Ingram was working with Lamar Jackson on the field. You see the conversations they're having off the field. He was almost like another little coach on the field with Jackson. And that was huge for Lamar Jackson as a young quarterback. Do you and know you why see, Mark Ingram was good last year? Is honestly, well, they gave him a lot of opportunity. No, and he, they he ran the hell out of football. He, he did a bunch of PEDs in the offseason. You can't do that. Good, sure. great. I'm doing them right now. Yeah, he's not so doing them again. That, that's the problem. <laughs> you get him back on the juice, he's going to be fine. But I mean, 15 touchdowns in less than 230 touches, like. That efficiency is so off the charts. It is, but do we think it ends up being five? No, let's compromise somewhere in the middle at 10 with 1,000 yards, and that is still a pretty damn good back. So is there risk? Yes. Is this another one of these conversations where we're having where I am not the handcuff guy, but is there legitimate reason this year to look at some of these guys and really think about the handcuffs and really concentrate on, you know what, I kind of want to own this backfield because I'm not 100% certain about Mark Ingram's long-term investment in 2020? Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, let's not 
let go of what Chris said, which is I think there's one more good year out of Mark Inger before this transition happens. And I think he becomes the perfect trade candidate. If he gets off to a really good start, trade him off and see what else you can get for him. Because I do think the second half, unlike a lot of these other guys we talked about, where I think they're going to be better as as the year goes on, I think Mark Ingram will be worse as the year goes on potentially. And we'll have more threats to his job as the year goes on. But last year, there is no denying. When you watch this team play on the field, when you saw them on the sidelines, Mark Ingram being with Lamar Jackson was a huge part of that Lamar Jackson success. And I don't think that's going to get ripped away right away, but over time, because of the age of Ingram, because of where he's at, because of what else is on that roster, it could naturally start to fade away. And that's the thing you have to protect against. Dobbins or Ingram for you, Meany? Honestly, I'll probably just pass on both. But if I had to choose, um, I would go Dobbins because I I think what, what, Joe is saying is absolutely correct when again we've talked so much about Singletary and Miles Sanders taking over in the second half of the season I think that's a that's a real possibility I just don't feel like Ingram's going to get those 20 touches per game that he had last year I really feel like Baltimore uh, they were extremely excited to get Dobbins they valued him as a first round back and and what I said before is as a, a potential three down back, what he can do in this offense is, is electric. And when I look at Ingram and I look at the top backs that had, you know, were inside the top 10 and in, in red zone rushing attempts, he was super efficient with those carries. And I, I, there's two ways that you can go about that is nice. He's finding a way to get in the end zone. He did the exact same thing with the saints. He's a good goal line back, but there's also again, Lamar Jackson or other backs they can hand off to. I mean, thir- he had 38% of the team's, rushing attempts inside the 20 other backs that are inside there 77 percent 80 74 69 so he was really really productive despite not getting the bulk of all that usage inside the red zone so that is my one concern because he could end up with 10 touchdowns he really could but he could also end up with 200 care fewer than 200 carries right it could just be a touchdown reliant back well meaning he could end up with eight touchdowns halfway through the year and then two the rest of the season and i think that's the thing you have to protect about that's the thing you have to take into consideration that you probably are not going to get a 2020 season of mark ingram that is really productive the entire time i think you're going to get at least a first half of a season and that is useful. That is important to draft, especially at a value. And then he becomes a very valuable trade chip to a team that has running back issues or has running back injuries. And God knows we're all going to have them. And then if you're smart enough to have Dobbins on that same roster you have, then you've basically hedged your bet. You could trade him off and then see if Dobbins emerges eventually. But again, I heard this noise last year with Justice Hill, and it did not come to fruition. I've heard this noise before with Mark Ingram. And every time Mark Ingram goes out there and plays, he's productive. And I understand it's against everybody's will sometimes, but it is what it is. And it happens every single time he's out there. So the next backfield that we should talk about, because we need to get rid of Mark Ingram. Too much Mark Ingram talk. On this. <laughs> don't, don't, don't draft Mark Ingram. Make it easier on yourself because he'll do to your fantasy team what he did to the Ravens. You'll get into week 14 and be like, he will hex your team and you will lose. That's guaranteed. I remember one year, meaning you remember this, when we were, at the, when we yeah. were all, both at fantasy. I squared yeah. off and the guy with the fi- in the finals, he rode Mark Ingram to the finals. And what did Mark Ingram do in that final game? Zero points. Guess who won the championship? Yeah, you fucked <laughs> So just pay attention to that. Also, if you're now, I will say that Mark Ingram is a really good pick if, like, you get bonus points for tripping over the two yard line and not scoring a touchdown or weirdly running out of bounds for no reason when you could find the end zone. Like, that super value in Mark Ingram when it comes down to that. But 
here's a situation where I don't even know if it's worth investing in because both these guys are going to be one. Unless we get more clarity, we're just not going to know. And that's going to be the difference between carry on Johnson and Deandre Swift in Detroit. Who's going to be the lead back. And I guess Joe, does it matter who the lead back is? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, if I'm going to have a choice here, these guys are going to take Swift. I've seen enough carry on Johnson already. And even in college, carry on Johnson was kind of an inconsistent player at Auburn. You would have these amazing games where you go, Oh my God, look at carry on Johnson. And other games where you go, eh, well, look at carry on Johnson. And I think that this is the perfect opportunity for Swift to come in here again, as the season continues to go on, hedge your bets here, take Swift. The problem is Swift was a very highly regarded running back going into the draft, got a lot of hype, a lot of publicity. So I am curious to see just how much of a discount you get on him. He could even be a guy that gets drafted. And if carry on Johnson starts off the season could even get dropped in a lot of leagues. And I think I would be all over picking him up, even if he wasn't playing because there is no scenario in my mind where 2020 works out to be a year where carry on Johnson flourishes as the number one running back by himself in Detroit. I don't see that happening. I think Swift is a superior talent and I think Swift is going to win out eventually. So again, this is a guy from week eight on that I'm very interested in owning. If I can get him at a discount, I will draft him. If I can't forget it, I will just, you know, play my waiver wire pickup, wait for somebody else to drop him. But how many, I mean, carry on Johnson, really? I mean, do we have to do this again? Uh, he was my number one running back, uh, uh, again, overrated going into last year and last year's black book. And he did not disappoint. Let's put it that way. Well, Meany, the problem is that it seems like Matt Patricia wants to use these running backs like Bill Belichick does in New England, where every 100%. week it's like someone else. Like, you don't think that we're going to see Bo Scarborough at some point this year? He'll no, sign, he will. Like, he'll just randomly have 14 carries in the game. It's like, oh, great. Yeah, I think we will. But thanks, Matt. It- yeah, Matt Patricia will fuck you. And it, it, there's no question about it. There, Can I get that on a t-shirt? <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a committee backfield. It really is. And I think we can all agree that Swift is the superior talent here. He's he's unbelievable. He's explosive. He's got the, the 100 on the Madden. He should have a 100 spin rate. He's He should be the guy. But the, Matt Patricia will roast rotate through these backs it's going to be a committee committee in Detroit whether you want it to be or not carry on Johnson has not been able to stay, stay healthy I agree with Joe there's no way I see no scenario where he turns out to be an RB1 even if Swift who has had injury history before by the way in college even if he does get hurt and he's not around the team you're right Pat Ty, Ty Johnson's going to come in there Bo Scarborough is going to come in there I think they took another back later or they signed one in Jason Huntley this is going to be a committee I don't see any scenario where Swift actually is just a guy who touches the ball consistently 20 to 25 times a game I, I think that this is probably what's best for carry on to be honest with you because he's already proven that he can't handle a full workload he hasn't been able to stay healthy maybe it's a good one-two punch and we see swift in year two be that electric back and is a guy that is a bell cow back but i think it's going to take some time so it's it's an easy fade for me actually yeah it's just a situation where i don't think you can get one guy to establish himself as the top guy now if you say hey swift is a 10th round pick you know, I'm good with that. Eventually, you're yeah. going to have to start taking guys that don't have all the volume and hoping that they can emerge into something or just be a highly efficient type of running back. But this situation where I think it's just going to be hard to predict week to week, like it's going to be one of those situations where, Joe, you, you always see this. And like we, I think we all see this every week that you have like the committee guy and then like you go to DraftKings, he's like 5,600 bucks and everyone's like, this is the guy. 
and he ends up becoming the chalk for the week. He does nothing. <laughs> and then the next week, he drops like 500 bucks and was like, don't play that guy. He's horrible. Then he gets like 25 touches and scores three touchdowns. Like, that's what this backfield 100%. feels like this year. Oh, oh, it's the, you just nailed it. That's exactly yeah. what this backfield is, I think, going into this year. And that's why I think you can take pieces of it in DFS. But in season long, I think it's one of these backfields to uh, to really just kind of pass on. I, I don't like running backs by committee. This is why I do value guys. You know, it's funny. We talked about Todd Gurley before in this very episode here. And Todd Gurley, you mentioned it. You rattled off the names. There's not a lot of guys fighting there for Todd Gurley shares. And I think that's that's the thing you look at and go, Todd Gurley's going to play running back for the Atlanta Falcons. And nobody's going to really, you know, take over unless he got hurt and the worst scenario happened. Whereas in this scenario, you don't know even week to week, even half to half or quarter to quarter who the guy's going to be. And both of them have some, you know, issues there. Uh, Swift being new and Swift having to learn his way into the playbook and other things and, and get the confidence of the coaching staff, pass protection, all those things that go into playing running back in the NFL at a high level, especially when you have a, a veteran quarterback like Matt Stafford making a lot of money, making sure you're able to protect him. And on Johnson has so many flaws there that I think we've already gone over them ad nauseum. So it's a running back uh, situation for me to stay away from unless I can get Swift cheap. If I get Swift cheap, then I'm going to wait and just bide my time and be patient and hold him on my bench. And let's not forget that the Lions returned the number 11 fantasy score points per game from last year. Wes Hills, 16 <laughs> points per game in one game last year. <laughs> yeah. I really like Matthew Stafford. I'm just going to have Stafford and Galladay shares Marvin Jones wherever I can. Yeah, I mean, even the backfield. I mean, even Amendola was pretty good in that offense uh, before Stafford yeah. went down. So it's interesting to see. So here's a backfield that's clustered, a lot of the same principles, but it does seem like they just ride the hot hand. But now we have a new name into the mix. They get rid of Matt Breda, but you still have my man, Colonel Mostert back there you have Jarek mckinnon who might make it to week one this year we'll see about that but he's still on the team you have tevin coleman still jeff wilson jr is gonna linger matt Breda, like i mentioned in miami now but i want to think that Mostart is the guy i mean and that they're gonna give him 15 carries per game but i know that's not gonna happen I know as another guy in, in Kyle Shanahan right I mean we were talking about Patricia not being able to trust him Kyle Shanahan's another one that you just can't really trust I will have some shares of Mozart though I, I'm, I'm probably going to get suckered into him because of what he did in the in the second half and the fact that they did get rid of Brita and I don't believe that Jared McKinnon is going to be a factor and I don't really believe in Tevin Coleman so I think Mozart has earned himself at least off the get-go as a guy who should be the RB1 and getting those carries. But again, I say should because we've seen it numerous times. You go back to Atlanta, Kyle Shanahan, there was like so many guessing games between the goal line back there at times, whether it was Freeman or Tevin Coleman, and they'd switch it all up. And so there's no question that this team wants to run the football. They have a great offensive line. Mostart showed that he's explosive. I mean, out of all the backs, and backs with at least 150 carries, he led all backs with 5.6 yards per attempt. I mean, there's there's some solid numbers there. He was even starting to catch some balls. But, yeah, you you are right to be concerned, at least for me. I do have some concerns that there it will be a frustrating backfield. But I'm going to be invested in Mostar because I love the price. I don't. It's not an expensive price to pay for him. So, yeah, Joe, if you can get him fifth round, end of fourth, fifth, sixth, that's essentially where Mostar is going right now. All of the early hype seems to have subsided just a little bit. Do you like Mostar? actually do yeah, uh you know you nice. talk of those names that you go through there number one they don't really scare me i mean if i hear jared mckinnon one more time i mean come on man let's, let's get past that uh tevin coleman is 
disappointing every single time to anyone who's ever tried to buy into Devin Coleman. So at a certain point, like when do we not look at, even though it might've been limited at times, like Chris pointed out how efficient Mostert was when he was given the opportunity. So you have these volume guys that we want to kind of build our running backs and fantasy teams around. But then there's also these other guys who are super efficient because not everybody's going to be in an offense or have the opportunity to carry or touch the ball 25 times a game. But a guy like Mostert, if he touches the ball 15 times a game, is going to be efficient doing that and productive. Well, then sign me up. Great offensive line, team that wants to run the football. Even though there are other guys around him, Mostert was the guy that helped them really through that playoff and that bigger push when it was most important. So to me, I think he's the guy who is in front of that pack. And I look at the pack behind him, whereas, you know, I'm looking at Carrion Johnson. I'm seeing Swift behind him. I don't see anybody like Swift in this backfield that's going to really be a superior talent necessarily. So I think Mostert has a really unique opportunity here to kind of, for lack of a better you know pun, run away with the scenario here. But there will always be that presence of the other guys because that's what Shanahan likes to do, and that's fine. It's going to be disappointing sometimes. But as a flex running back, I think Mostert's still a guy you want to own. Would you want him, if you could load up on, let's say you get one of the top three picks, and then you went receivers and tight ends or Lamar Jackson or Mahomes, whoever it was, and then all of a sudden Mostert is sitting there in the fifth round as a running back, or potentially even the start of the sixth round. Is that someone that you would feel comfortable with as a running back, too, if you knew you had one of the top three guys? I think I would, especially when it's coming down to, do I want David Montgomery or do I want Mostert? Because there's Mostert in an offense that was rocking and rolling last year, especially in the second half of the season. And Mostert was part of that or Montgomery who, you know, it just, it's so trudging along and difficult to see the, the, the upside at a certain point with those guys. So I think for me, I'm going to go with the Mostert thing. And I understand that might be unpopular because there's competition, but I also see efficiency there. So if I'm all the way down to the bottom here, I'm looking at the volume guy who's not producing versus the efficient guy who is, I'm going to take the efficient guy who is. And I think the same could be said when you're starting to look at these other spots too, like Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack in Indianapolis. There's another scenario too, where let's see how that one develops because that could be one that we have great clarity on even maybe as early as week two or three, I think potentially, but that's a dicey situation too. I've seen Jonathan Taylor go above a lot of the names that we've already talked about on these lists, which is another fascinating entity this year. Well, who have you seen Jonathan Taylor go ahead at this point? Uh, this last group of guys, I've seen him go ahead of Mostert. I've seen him go ahead of as early as head of Le'Veon Bell. Some people like, I think that's a little crazy, but I have seen him go ahead of, let's see, even on fantasy pros in terms of rankings right now, Jonathan Taylor is ranked ahead of David Johnson, ahead of James Conner and ahead of uh, your boy, Mark Ingram, even. I mean, I'll go to the athletic mock. He was RB12, Pat. He was, he was, yeah, the second people are round. really high on him. How, but, but how do people know? Like, I get that if they come out and say, you, you know don't. what, we're yeah. going to, we're cutting Marlon Mack. Naheem Hines with Philip Rivers, Naheem Hines is going to be a part of this offense. Now, it might be just like in Chargers days where it's good enough to support two guys, the primary pass catching back and the guy on the ground. And I get everything that goes along with that. But if Mack's still getting, 10 touches a game like taylor's not going to be a rb1 he's just not well chris correct me if i'm wrong this is max last year of his deal too yes. so i think that that might be another situation where they just want to turn the page now yeah it, it's possible there's always two ways that you can look at that is is maybe they give mac you know a, 
a few more carries than you expect because it is his last year and, and they just work Taylor into the offense. You know, they, they draft Pittman, they draft Easton. Maybe, you know, they decide to turn the offense over in another year and just give some of these other guys an opportunity. But Taylor is in my, you could make a case for him being the, the most talented r- rookie running back out of the entire class. It's just Clyde Edwards Hilaire is in that perfect situation yeah. in, in KC when with Mahomes and that offense and Andy Reid. But with Taylor, I mean, he steps into arguably behind the best offensive line in football. Um, but you're right, Pat. Hines is going to be a player in this game, it, him or Mac. I don't think Mac is going to completely disappear. I think he they could run some two running back sets. They could have him catching the balls out of the backfield. Even though he hasn't, you look at the, his career log and you see, oh, he's not. he hasn't really been that guy's catching balls I do think that he can catch them he was there was some games where he was catching three or four passes so he could play that Himes role that we think that Hines is going to play um but yeah Taylor was I mean he was he's probably going to go in the second round he in that athletic mock he was RB12 and we did six rounds and most start didn't even go yeah you know in our four round mock for the black book he's right there in the fourth round there uh that's where we have him yeah taylor um and it's the same thing it's the matter of looking at the contract situation looking at another team that's very much win now with philip rivers and who gives you the best chance to win now i think the answer is taylor when you watch these two guys and when you consider you know mac has become kind of expendable here at this point someone would say okay well maybe they're gonna ride mac into the ground but i don't think mac is the kind of back you could do that with so the other backfield that we don't really know anything about, uh, Miami, Jordan Howard's there. We have the trade for Matt Breda, <laughs> who I mentioned, our Laird in savior. Shout out to, to Davis and Pete on that one. But he changed his number. Patrick Laird is still in this mix. Miami, when you look at it per adjusted line yards last year, dead last. Only behind, I mean, only the Jets were close to them and being just horrible uh, when it came to run-blocking offensive lines. But they've gone out and they've addressed some of these needs. It doesn't look like Tua's going to start right away. But we want to write off Jordan Howard every single year, Meany. But every single year, he just ends up being a guy who's fantasy-relevant for short stretches. Like, do you think this is Breda's job? Do you think this is Howard's job? Or is it just a mix of whoever they're feeling like that day? Yeah, I kind of feel, unfortunately, and it's like a cop-out answer, but I kind of feel like that's how it's going to go, whoever they're feeling that day. I will give the edge right now to to Jordan Howard. Both of these guys have, you know, him and Brita, they haven't been able to, to really stay healthy, but I feel like Jordan Howard does get a lot of disrespect in the fantasy community. We always want to poke holes at him, and I'm not really sure why. Um, you know, maybe he's because he's not that explosive, but year one, 1,300 yards, year two, 1,100 yards, last uh, year three, almost 1,000 yards. And then really was the guy in Philadelphia. He was he was solid. He was the goal line back. He looked like the better back between him and Miles Sanders. It's just he had the shoulder injury and his season was absolutely over. So I, I think that he's going to be given an opportunity. It's just how healthy can he stay? Between both of those guys, Matt Bruda and Jordan Howard, they like, like I said, they both have injury concerns where it probably will be a, a, a 60-40, 50-50, a split. You're playing guessing games. Who's going to be the goal line back there? Who's going to be catching balls in the backfield? It's probably going to be Brita, which will limit Howard, I, I think, his overall production. But I see Howard as maybe the, the first down back, second down back, and I think it's going to be a bloody mess. But I think there's an opportunity for, you know, just value to, to grab one of these guys and potentially one of them could touch the ball 20 times a game so Matt Brader right now he's going around the eighth round Joe I think Mm -hmm. that's a worthwhile pick depending on how your running back depth is shaking down 
Because I think that if one of them is more likely to be the guy, it's Breda over Howard, just because they went out, they traded for him. He's younger. Uh, he's someone who constantly gets banged up too. So maybe the better investment might be like a 13th round Jordan Howard or wherever he ends up going if that's if people feel like it's Breda over Howard. But I think you're going to get these guys on the cheap, if nothing yeah. else. And it could be one of them. Yeah, I think they're bi week running backs. You know, Breda, Howard, guys that you could plug in there for a week, two if you need them and get by and i think that that's okay there's something wrong with it you're gonna need depth at the running back position it's fantasy football it's gonna be a lot of injuries a lot of issues plus you have the bye week so there's a lot to handle there but if you are in any way shape or form relying on a running back that has mia next to their name i feel like it's going to be more of an mia situation and i think you need to really realize that you probably failed somewhere in your draft if you have to rely on these guys as bench depth as bye week running backs okay i mean you know Chris was very astutely pointing out, we want to hate on Jordan Howard, but, you know, he kind of gets the job done. Very, very unsexy, but he gets the job done. And Braid has had some moments, but there's real concerns whether or not he can be a lead back because he hasn't really had the opportunity nor the ability to kind of, you know, show he can handle that workload. And Miami is going to be an offense that's going to be very hit and miss, I think. You're going to see weeks where Miami last year showed up and was really good, and other weeks where they were absolutely just putrid. And I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. I do think two is going to play more than people realize this year. I am going to hold true to that. He is a competitor. He is absolutely just ferocious and he's going to find a way to work his way to a point where they have no choice, but to put him on the field for more games. than I think people realize in 2020, but at the same time, uh, unfortunately looking at this running back situation, they are nothing more than bi-week fillers. I think. So what do you think of the strategy of, making sure you get all of the running backs, the volume, the quote unquote volume running backs early, even if you pile up like three of them in the first four rounds and then just not touching any of the quote unquote top end of the committee likely to break out type guys. And then just taking the back end of the quote unquote committees in the 12th, 13th, 14th round and hoping to hit on one of them. Like instead of taking Ingram, you take Dobbins. Instead of taking Swift, you take carry on. If that's the way that people play it. Instead of taking Mostert, you take Coleman. Instead of taking Taylor, you take Mack or you take Howard over Breda. Or when we get to some of these, like depending on how it shakes out, like Akers, Henderson, and Brown. Let's say that just comes down to Akers and Henderson with the Rams. Everyone loves Cam Akers. Well, it could be Henderson. Just take him in like the 14th round or whatever. And then if you can hit on one of those three guys, all of a sudden you've just manufactured a lot more out of what you can do on your squad for a lot less value and a lot less risk. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that strategy. I mean, for, for, I'm, I'm the type that likes to draft bell cows early anyways. And I think this wide receiver position, the wide receiver position is extremely deep this year. I think there's so much value. So if you go ahead and take care of a couple of bell cow backs, the, the guys obviously we talked about in part one and some in part two, yeah, you could take that strategy of, of, of running backs on, especially good teams. You rattled off a couple running backs there. Like if Cam Akers, you know, something happens to him or he doesn't, I think that he could be actually a pretty solid back with the Rams. But if he is. But do we think he, it, do it, we, do we think he's the number one? And what does the number one on the Rams actually entail? Mm, yeah, that's I mean, a better question. That's that. That's <laughs> a really good question, especially with, you know, what we talked about Todd Gurley and the usage and Sean McVay giving Malcolm Brown carries randomly here and there. So it's that that's a, a legitimate question. But yeah, I mean, those are those are Madison, too, is another one. I'm not saying to pass on Delvin Cook, but there are some home run backs potentially if you hit on two or three of them a little bit later on that could that could work out. The biggest thing here with Howard and and Breda is what we're talking about. Yeah, Miami is is whatever. And yeah, they address the offensive line. But 
there's terrific value with both of these guys, maybe even more so with Howard, because people will draft Brita, despite Brita never having more than 160 carries in his in a season. And Howard, you know, hitting 250 three times out of his four years. So there's there's terrific value on on some of these guys who could play into larger roles as the season goes on on the team. Yeah, and I trying to define that role. Like Madison would be one thing, but he is a handcuff, I would think. Yeah. Like it's not like he's just going to be the guy over Delvin Cook week one. Surprise, it's now Madison's team. Delvin Cook's <laughs> going to be on the bench. With like Acres, we can pretend it's Acres. And this is talking right now. When we get into August, maybe this situation is completely clear. Same as the Taylor one. But if you are drafting at least relatively early, and even in July, you're probably not going to know the answer to these questions. That, yes, let's say Acres is the number one. Does that mean he gets 60%? Okay, well, what if it's just randomly Henderson and he's the guy who gets 60%? That just makes him such a better value. Do you have any read on this situation, Joe? No, I think this is kind of that whole thing where you just put your chips on a lot of different numbers and then hopefully just, you know, by process of having more shares, somebody hits. And uh, I think there's better scenarios than others. I I think when you're looking there, uh, you have to look at, number one, what's the offense allow itself to do? Uh, number two, you know, look at the talent of the running backs too, that you're putting money and chips on and, and choose carefully. But uh, this kind of goes back into this other scenario where you have these bell cow guys, you have a, a distinct group of them that you're really excited about, but also there I think is a very unique situation, whether it be some of these rookie running backs that have come in or some of these guys like Madison, second year running backs that have shown you, they can be very good. You know, if Dalvin cook is a holdout in the first couple of weeks of the season. Then Madison becomes a guy you can play for the first month, potentially. So there's so many scenarios with these guys where I don't ever remember being this excited for the backup guys or the guys that are later in drafts. And I think you have to pay attention to them. And I think buying them in bulk is smart because probably three of five won't hit. But if you have one of the other two, I think you're in a really good situation because that gives you depth and it also gives you trade leverage later in the year to move one of those guys or somebody else on your roster and slide them into your active roster. Pat, there's also a situation too, when you bring up Henderson and Akers, I just kind of thought about this and you know, the world that we're living in right now, we have to really kind of, think about this and I say quote unquote behind the eight ball but if if training camps are going to be delayed and guys are not going to be with their teams mm-hmm. and learning playbooks like is Akers going to be the the lead back in the first four weeks of the season or is it going to be Daryl Henderson who was with the team and started getting more reps and more play towards the end of the season is I know the Rams invested in Akers but they also last two years ago traded up to get a guy in Henderson are they completely writing him off are they going to go with a committee is it going to take some time for some of these rookies Keyshawn Vaughn we want Keyshawn Vaughn to be the guy in Tampa Bay he's a good pass blocker is he going to protect Brady Um, how often is he going to be able to pick up some of the blitzes that Brady wants him to pick up if he's not with the team and getting these reps and then in the training camps and and learning from this stuff so this is something that maybe I'm overthinking but it, it some of these rookies, it could be a different year for them as opposed to other rookies. I don't think you're overthinking at all, Chris, personally. I think that's actually a fantastic point, and I think it really does favor, I know he hates to say it, but the Mark Ingrams of the world, possibly. <laughs> I mean, he can always – listen, it's not too hard to impart how to teach over trip over a two-yard line to anyone. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It's pretty <laughs> well clear done, sir. On, well done. on how you do it. But, like, between Vaughn and between Jones, like, is there just a possibility that – I know this might be blasphemous to say – what if Tampa Bay sucks? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I mean, I mean, you know, and Vaughn is not necessarily, I mean, was he just Ronald Jones 2.0? I mean, it could be. I mean, it's nobody knows. And I think it's just going to be a very pass heavy offense. I think that's, that's just what it's going to yeah. come down to. But the ironic part of that 
that sounds really good in theory, but anybody's watched the Patriots in the last three years and God knows probably nobody watches them as much as I do. They've really propped Tom Brady up with an enormous amount of running game. I know it's speculative every week who that guy is going to be or how they do it, but the short yardage passing game and the running game of Sonny Michelle last couple of years and James White and even Deion Lewis before that, they've really done a very good job of putting Brady in in a good situation to succeed by really changing and kind of pulling back what the offense was back in the day when it was Randy Moss and all these other guys, it was a little bit more high flying. It has not been nearly as high flying in the last couple of years. And it's been very, very conservative. But now all of a sudden you're telling me, or you're going to sell me on the fact that Brady's going to go to Tampa. And now all of a sudden he's going to throw for, I don't know, 5,000 yards and it's going to all be fantastic. Maybe, but that's not the Brady I've been seeing the last couple of years. He's been a little bit more reserved and yeah, it could be the, offensive style and philosophy but also could be a 42 year old quarterback uh meanie where did vaughn go in that athletic draft that you did Did he go in the top six rounds or did jones go up there like i'm I'm having a hard gauge on it feels like people are going to side with the rookie because the rookie is the new shiny thing yeah he went in the he went in the sixth round um to to jake he paired up did jake only take rookies Yeah, you know Jake loves his rookies, right? He so thought it was he a rookie draft. Edward that. Solaire, Fournette, and then Keyshawn Vaughn. In the sixth round, these are the backs that went in the sixth round. Ingram, Hunt, Montgomery, Keyshawn Vaughn. So I, I think in the sixth round, Keyshawn Vaughn, I, I Joe, you bring up a great point. All the running backs that they've used, and a lot of those guys, Rex Burkhead is another one that, that can <laughs> yeah. catch quick little dump-offs. Um, it's going to be very key, I think, for Keyshawn Vaughn to be able to pick up those blitzes. I don't think the offensive line is going to be as completely strong as in years past in, in New England. They're going to really have to protect Brady. I don't think that he can just go into Tampa Bay and throw the ball 40-plus times every single game. Like That's just not something that he did in, in New England recently. But I think at that point, Keyshawn Vaughn in the sixth round, I think he's terrific. I, th- I don't want to put in the comparison of LeGarrette Blunt, but I think LeGarrette Blunt a couple years ago, as a guy that just racked up so many red zone rushing attempts and was the goal line back there, I think Vaughn could play maybe a similar role, but it is interesting that they, because Jones didn't really show us anything and he wasn't great at pass blocking is why Barber was, was in there and was why he was getting goal line touches as well. So it'll be very key for Vaughn to be able to pick up those blitzes, I think is, is very important for him. So the other big one, if we're just going to stick with the Tampa Bay running backs, let's go to New England. You have Sex Rex. He's still around. James White, Sony Michelle, and Damian Harris, who you think would probably get into the mix at some point this year. And there's always going to be some random fullback who steals touchdowns away as well. Who knows? But, Joe, do you have a read on this backfield, and will it change now that Brady is gone? Like, if people expect the Patriots to probably try to win games by grinding it on the ground and playing defense it could be a good Sony Michelle aspect. It could. Uh, I wouldn't dismiss Damian Harris either. I know this is going to sound wacky and like I'm building a narrative, but those two guys did play together uh, growing up. So they're very familiar with each other. And now they happen to land on the same team in the NFL, which is a staggering thing when you consider the chances of that happening, not only both playing in the NFL, but on the same team. So I don't know what the comfort level is or where they're going here, but I think Sony Michelle is probably the guy to start with, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is a, a real rotation this year too. And um, it's going to be fascinating. They are going to probably just run this weird rotation of all of these guys and whatever's working, or they're going to have series planned for this guy. And then we're going to do the Rex Burkhead series. And then this group of plays, this is a team that's going to play defense, run the football and be very careful with the football in an era where everybody is trying to outscore everybody. They're going to do the opposite and it wouldn't shock me if they were 
oddly successful doing it. So, Meany, what about the idea, let's say we think that New England is bad and maybe that they're losing some of these games. Does that mean James White is the best value? Maybe that wasn't just a Brady thing. Maybe that the screens, the dump-offs to James White is just a part of this offense. Yeah, I think so. I think Joe's absolutely right. They're going to rotate through all these guys. I mean, Brandon Bolden's still on the roster. Not much value. <laughs> can't get rid of him. You yeah. can't kill Brandon Bolden no matter how you do. But I think White's the guy too, meaning I agree. Yeah, the two that I'm interested in is White, to your point, Pat. I do think that um, there will be some dump-offs and he'll be he'll be involved. I don't know. Sony Michelle, like – I have some concerns with him. I don't I don't feel like I'm going to be able to, to draft him with confidence. But I think James White and Damian Harris. I think Harris is going to be pretty much free. And I think a lot of people forget that. What, Joe, was he a first-round pick a few years ago? Uh, yeah, well, not first. It was early. So it was one of the two. He was a guy that they they took and everybody went, huh, wow, I can't yeah. believe they did that. They have Sony Michelle. Why would two years in a row they spent early draft capital on running backs, which is a very unpatriot-like thing to do but they did. And I would still put my money on James white because this offense has always had that, whether it be Falk, yeah. uh, you know, whether it be, you know, James white, Deion Lewis before him, it's always had that guy in the offense. So that's not going to change anytime soon. And when you're trying to prop up a, a rookie quarterback like Stidham or a second year quarterback, wherever he is now, it's the idea of making sure that he can check down, find those guys and be able to target them. And I'll tell you what, replacing Devlin too. I think one of those tight ends they drafted uh, the second kid is going to be kind of like an H back tight end kind of, I mean, a H back tight end slash fullback kind of guy to replace Devlin who retired, who was also a huge cog in that offense. This offense went South last year when Devlin got hurt. That was people didn't realize their ability to run the football kind of died with Devlin because they do run that fullback quite a bit. They do run that eye formation out there and they will play old school football. And they weren't able to do that last year. And the offense kind of fell apart in the second half. And a lot of people didn't realize that that was the reason why now he's retired. Now they're going to try to build a new version of that and we'll see how it goes, but it's going to be a backfield. They're very, very difficult to deal with. White will be the one fantasy back. The other guys I would just kind of leave alone. All right. Yeah, seven tight ends on this team, Pat. I mean, Is that all they're up. going for the bears record. There's no question. They want to run the football and, and rotate through a lot of these guys. All right. I want a one word answer and we'll get out of here for part four. If you had to draft one of these guys, and I think they're all going to go around similar type values here. Joe, we'll start with you. Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, Philip Lindsay, or Royce Freeman? Give me Philip Lindsay, because I always got a root for the little guy. And Melvin Gordon always gets hurt. But I said I said one answer. So Philip Lindsay, sorry. So you know what? You like the little guys? We'll throw Tariq Cohen into that mix too. Still Philip Lindsay. <laughs> okay. Meaning? Can't trust Nagy. Yeah, Philip Lindsay for me too. I just ah. I can't get behind Geis. I just can't. There's so many backs in Washington right now. Yeah, and- I see the talent with Geis. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. Can can he stay healthy? Is Gibson going to play a role? Do they just turn it over to old man AP? Who knows? Anyway, that will do it on part four of the player by player previews at the running back position. I want to thank Chris Meany at Chris Meany on Twitter for being here. You can check him out at theathletic.com. You can check out Joe Pizapia as well. And remember to order the fantasy football black book off the amazons.com. Joe, is that the best place to get it? Or can they just like write write you a letter and you'll send it to them? (laughs) Dear Joe, please send me a black book. Uh, no, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it for Kindle there. 
uh, as well as the paperback version, which everybody loves to hold the black book in their hand, which is great. I love that about everybody. And you could also get on iTunes as an ebook as well. So however you want to read the black book, if you want both, you want the paperback and the ebook, you want to kill a tree and have it to take with you wherever you are, you can do both. But uh, always fun to talk football with you guys. This was a pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Remember, everyone out there, smash the like button, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, and tell me which running back, regardless of price, you just don't ever want to draft. My answer? Mark Ingram, but we all know that. And if you want to get into a draw for 100 DK dollars, leave a five-star review on the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, DraftKings handle, something you enjoy about the show, and boom, you'll be in that. Follow me at the PME, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and that'll do it. You want to check out the earlier versions of the show? Easy. Description. Video. Podcast. Along with the time codes for these ones, although well, that's probably irrelevant information to you at the very end of the show. Oh, well. I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.